Anyway, if you'll, uh, if you'll turn with me now in your copy of God's Word to Psalm 132. Psalm 132, that's going to be our, our text. And as you turn there, um, a little bit of uh, background on the text. Um, this is a, a song of ascent. Um, this is, that means that the Israelites would sing this song as they would go to worship in Jerusalem. Um, and this particular song is about celebrating the historical act of the Ark of the Covenant being brought back uh, to Jerusalem, um, ultimately to be placed in the temple. Um, it was uh, a symbolic act of, uh, of God dwelling with his people. And so it's, it's a, very, a very big deal. Um, the, psalm, the psalm ultimately being a, a celebration of Israel being able to worship uh, their God in his presence, um, and even more so just celebrating, celebrating God's blessing on his people. So this, this historical act uh, is, could actually be counted as a, um, a miracle in and of itself, because the, the Ark of the Covenant was found, where, as the text will tell us, um, in the fields of Ja'ar, um, which can be interpreted in Hebrew as the field, uh, the fields of woods. Um, this was probably a, a, an abbreviation uh, of a city called Kiriath Jerium, um, where the ark had basically been, been forgotten for 60 plus years. Um, so essentially what's happening is the, the psalmist is saying, praise the Lord, we can finally worship our God uh, in his presence, um, unlike what we, ha- we haven't been able to because the, the mercy seat of God has been lost in these random woods, has been lost in the fields of wood. And now, after 60 years, David has finally moved it to Jerusalem uh, to, be into the, to be in the capital city, to be amongst the people. And so the question for us this morning is, so what? What's the big deal about the ark and the temple? What, what is... What, what, does it matter to us, to the people in the 20th, 21st century, um, that the ark has returned to Jerusalem? Especially when the ark and the temple, as it was in their time, is really no longer relevant uh, to the worship of God in the church area. So let's jump in, read God's word. We're going to read the entirety of Psalm 132. This is God's word. A song of ascents. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor. All the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we hear it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jaar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath, from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. 
There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. Let's go ahead and pray now. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for um, its meaning to us. Thank you that we could gather it, gather together to hear it, to read it. Lord, um, get me out of the way so that your word may shine this morning. In your son's precious and holy name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the psalmist is making three petitions here. He's making three petitions of the Lord, and we see God's responses to each of these petitions. So what are the petitions, and what do they have to do with us? Well, the first petition is uh, for David's hardships to not be in vain, to not be futile. Um, you may, may or not know this, but futility has this... Um, has a unique way of being just psychologically crushing. Um, in, in World War II, the Nazis would often submit Jews to all sorts of horrific conditions and torture, the medical experiments, the gas chambers, y'all know most of these things. But one of the most de- demoralizing and dehumanizing thing that they would subject their prisoners to was digging holes day after day just to then have to go and fill those holes back in. Like day after day, they would dig a hole, and day after day, they would fill that hole back in. And they found, the, the Nazis found that it didn't matter how much they tortured the Jews. It didn't matter what horrific medical experiments they performed on them, the, the horrible condition, how much they starved them out. They could not break their spirit. They could not um, break their, this, their sense of identity and community uh, until they subjected them to futility. And this is how they did it. F- dig a hole fill it back in. And as the, as the war went on, uh, this actually exercised into something even more um, horrific as the Nazis would have them dig a hole, fill it back up, dig a hole, get in it, and their fellow prisoners would then bury them alive. So they functionally were digging their own graves. The Nazis realized that no, no matter how much they tormented them physically, it wasn't until they submitted them to futility day after day after day that, they, that their spirits would finally break. And when that finally stopped working, when they adjusted to it, they would just make it worse because futility is uniquely psychologically crushing. And if you view the life of David chronologically, if you view the life of David um, without the end result in mind, without the, the grand epitaph of man after God's own heart, right? If you go back and you read his life story and try to forget the end of it, um, it would be very easy to see how he might think his life was futile. It, it, was, it was pointless that all of his best laid plans to him in the moment must have seemed to be in vain. And, it, and it's very easy to gloss over this fact as we read about David's life. Um, but his life was, was just downright hard, to say the least. Sure, he was a king. like He, he might have had it easy by the day's standards, but when you look at the hardships of his life, especially his early life, as a preface to this psalm and what the psalmist is asking of God, I think it would, it would benefit us to really just take a second and, and consider some of those hardships. So you see, see, David was the eighth son of Jesse. His father saw him as just another mouth to feed. His job was to, um, to work in the fields. When Samuel came and said, hey... I uh, bring me all of your sons because God has told me that one of your sons is going to be king. 
Jesse didn't consider David even an option. He had a fullness of sons, the eighth being a bit of a symbolic number. It was literal in this case, but also symbolically for the Jews. He was an excess. He was an extra. He didn't really matter to his father. So he didn't even, call, he didn't even bother to call him in from the field. After he came into prominence, after he beat Goliath, right, what was his job? His job... Uh, this promising young man who, who defeated one of the, the greatest giants. He, he very quickly rose in the, the military to be a, a general as a very young man. His job then became, hey, you know our king, the man who could just kill you for whatever reason, for whatever reason he wants? Hey, you are going to go to him when he's at his most crazy. Um, at this point, he was fairly crazy. And you're supposed to play music for him. You're trying to, you, you, your job is to make our crazy king a little less crazy. Um, and yeah, sure, he may try to kill you, but just you know, try to dodge when he throws stuff at you, and, and you'll, be, you'll be okay. Um, he spent most of his adult life, after that job didn't work out, surprisingly, um, he, he spent most of his young adult life uh, fighting wars, uh, fleeing from this, this crazy king who was constantly trying to kill him. He had to flee his nation, his homeland, um, to, to avoid uh, the, the, his, his own death. Um, when he finally took over as king, um, he only, only two of the 12, 12 tribes acknowledged him as king, and he had to fight a civil war for the other 10 to, to settle down and acknowledge him as king. Well, okay, he's king now. That seems like a, a, like a, a pretty good gig. He's, maybe surely the hardships are, are over. But he only really ruled for a little while, until he committed the sin with Bathsheba, had to deal with the very public fallout of all that. Imagine, you know, if you're king, you commit a sin, you want to cover it up. No, no, no. The, the prophet Nathan, recorded for all of history, calls him out uh, for this sin uh, very publicly. Um, and then the result of that sin is the loss of the child um, of that sin, which would have been devastating. Um, okay, moves on a little further. One of his children rapes another one of his children. One of his children kills another one of his children. Um, the son that killed the other usurps his throne. Um, David has to flee for his life for months, uh, for months on end, basically uh, withdrawing to some of the furthest reaches of Jerusalem at that time. Um, that son finally dies, and it, it breaks David. David's sad. He, he was happy with this son somehow. I love that son, even though he's trying to kill him. Um, he then commits the sin of the census. God told him, don't count the people. Don't worry about that. That's for me to know, not for you. David does it anyway. Uh, and then 70,000 Israelites die. Um, and God says, David, this is your fault. You, the, you're the reason these people had to die. Imagine how much that would have weighed on him. Um, and then finally, at the end of uh, skipping over all sorts of other ish, all other wars and, and other hardships that David faced, at the end of his life, he is so weak and, and such a, such an impotent king. Um, he, he really is the definition of a puppet king. His advisors and his wives literally just propping him up to try to maintain some of their own powers, making decisions for him and using him basically just as as a figurehead. David's life, though he was a king, was hard. He suffered. He fought. He paid dearly for his sins, more than what we pay for our sins. Lord's, the Lord's justice um, intervened into his life 
probably more than it, more than it does in ours uh, this day and age. But, the, but at the end of every episode, though every plan that David made seem futile, at the end of every episode, def- despite the fact that he probably felt like he was a hamster spinning in his will, David kept coming back to the God that he knew loved him. He kept coming back to the God who, who saved him, who made him king. Yes, he made mistakes. Yes, he sinned in very very grievous ways, very serious ways, but he always repented and he always tried to go back to pursuing his God with zeal. Uh, In fact, David might have been a little overzealous in the vow that he makes to God, the one that is recorded in our text, because we we know that God says, no, you, you will not build my temple. And that Solomon ultimately is the one who builds the temple, not David. Uh, And so the psalmist is going to God, is petitioning God, saying, God, please remember David's hardships. Please remember how hard his life was and remember the vow that he made in spite of that. Remember how much he truly did love you. You know, remember the vow, the one that David couldn't keep. Remember that vow because because of David's love because of his hardships. You know, this, it actually seems that the psalmist is really riffing on uh, 2 Samuel 7, um, where David is promising to build God's temple. God says, no, um, he, and God says, no, you're not going to build my temple, but I will build up your house. I will build up for you a family and a royal lineage. Um, I will build a, a, a throne for you and for your descendants who will rule on that throne forever. And the, but the point that the psalmist is making and the point that God ultimately makes for David is that it doesn't matter if David, if you can keep the vow because your petition is rooted in the intent of your heart. David, you love me. You love me, and so I will bless you. David, you seek to follow me. Yes, you fail, so I will, but you love me, and so I will, I will bless you. He, he wanted to continue with the Lord as his shepherd. David wanted to continue with the Lord as his shepherd and to not stray from the path that God had called him to. He, he, he was willing to risk everything, everything to follow God, to make the temple. Sure, David never got to build the temple, but he provided all the supplies. He set aside uh, all the money and as much lumber as he could, as much of the, the, the finer things to build a, a grand temple as he could because he, he was willing to risk it all so that, the, so that God, so that his God would have a place to be worshiped and so that the people would have a place to worship their God in his presence. You see, the vow itself, though it was a hasty vow, though it was rejected, was this deep, deep, deep expression of love for God, and it showed David's desire to dwell in God's house. You know, it is, it is often my prayer that I would be so overzealous in, in my worship, that, that, that I would be so overzealous in my worship of God that I would risk everything. That I'd, not just everything, that I would just risk my comfort, that I would risk um, my rest to serve God and to be with him. Imagine for a second, I mean, I, it was an O'Galley this week, canceled their first day of school because AC was out. 
How many people would still be in here this morning if the AC was out in this building? How many people would, be, would probably be watching it online if you knew the AC was out this morning, right? Oh, that we'd be so overzealous in our worship of God that our comfort wouldn't matter, that you could all be sweating like I am as I get up here, that, that, you, that, that you, you'd risk everything just to be in God's presence, just to be with God's people, no matter the hardships we face, no matter the seeming futility of our jobs, of our relationship, no matter any of that, that, that we would want nothing more than to worship in his presence and to be filled by his spirit and to live as he's called us to live. That's my prayer for myself. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for Northside um, and the rest of, of, the, of God's people meeting today, that we would be so overzealous in our worship of God that we'd be willing to risk everything just, just to be in his presence, just to be in the presence of his people. Not because of ours or, or David's zealousness would actually merit anything. No, no, no. But on the basis of Christ's death and resurrection, we can claim the promise of God, just like the psalmist calls on God to remember David's suffering, we can call on God to remember Christ's. We can call on God to remember the hardships that Christ faced. Uh, though, though David faced some hardships that were a direct result of his own sin, Christ faced hardships because of our sin. Christ faced the world. Christ faced the cross because of our sin. And so we can call on God, remember Christ, remember your son, and so be with us. Be with us, Father. Uh, This leads us to our our second petition that the psalmist is making. Um, He's ultimately petitioning that God uh, would make David's vow complete, that he would fulfill David's vow. So, He's saying, hey, the psalmist is saying, God, please remember David's hardships. Remember, remember David's hardships. And, and God, remember, God, remember that we need you to be in our worship. Remember, God, um, how David was able to, to choose a spot. Uh, remember how David uh, went through life uh, with all the hardships that he faced. Um, and, and remember that, Lord, David wanted to build you a house. Remember, Lord, that David wanted to choose a spot for you, that you could be with his people. And as we've already pointed out, God's response to David was a big fat no. God basically says that if I wanted a temple, if I wanted a temple, if I, wanted a, if I needed a temple, <laughs> then I would have made one by now, is what God told, tells David. He says, I don't need a temple to be with my people, but because of your desire, I'm going to bless your house. The vow, as, as the psalmist is recalling it, isn't actually about the building. You see, David, David is a little misguided in his vow. Yes, it's hasty, and it's also misguided because God doesn't need the building. In fact, even as the psalmist is writing this, the temple was already built. This is a song of ascent. This was written. This was written for Israelites as they went to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. So the the, the temple is the, the whole psalm isn't even about the temple. 
It isn't even about the mercy seat. It isn't about the Ark of the Covenant because it was already established in Jerusalem. It was about God's presence with his people and how his presence with his people means both a renewed righteousness in his people and an abundance of joy. You see, the Israelites, they couldn't, understand that, they couldn't understand this. They couldn't understand that God could be with his people no matter where they were. That he could be with his people with or without a temple. The temple was, in fact, ultimately a, a grand display of God's grace and mercy. That God would condescend to the understanding of his people and give them a way to express their worship in a way that they could understand. They couldn't understand because of their culture. They could not understand that God could be wherever they were. They thought that God had to be tied to some geographical place. Even though they had all the signs of God's power in Egypt, even though they had the, the, the pillar of fire and the cloud that they, they experienced as they wandered through the wilderness, that they, these stories would have been handed down probably by just their, their grandparents, their great-grandparents. They, they could not understand that God was not tied down to this geographical place, that he was with his people and he will continue to be with his people despite whether he has a temple or not. But despite all this, God allows for a temple to be built as a symbol of his presence. And he gives instruction on, his, on the layout of the temple because he cares about how he's worshiped so that his people would have a way to visibly uh, be where God was. And they could understand that they were in a place where God was. And so the petition, that, uh, the petition of the psalmist is for God to descend on his mercy seat, to be present in the temple as the pilgrims make their way to Jerusalem to worship. Like that, that's ultimately what this petition is about. God, be with your people Be with your people. Remember your servant David. Remember what he did for you. And Lord, because of that, be with your people. This was was and is ultimately a prayer for God to be present with his people, that they could worship at his footstool. So as believers in the church era, we get to pray this exact same prayer, do we not? That the Holy Spirit would be present in our worship, that we, that we may worship at his footstool, that we, as his saints, would shout for joy and that his face would be turned to us and we would be able to bask in his glory. But there's more. There's more to it than that, just that. Maybe you've seen the, the commercial. Maybe we don't watch commercials anymore, but if you have TV um, or, I don't know, maybe a, a random commercial on YouTube or something, um, maybe you've seen the progressive insurance commercials um, where a guy named Dr. Rick meets with a, a bunch of millennials because they're turning into the parents. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all seen these? They're hilarious. I love them. Um, but basically, it's this guy, he's meeting with millennials, um, and they've all bought new homes, and now they're turning into their parents. That's the whole thing. And so he holds seminars with them, uh, and I might offend some of, some of you older folks. I'm sorry. Um, but he, he holds seminars about how to find the, the silence button on their phone. Um, how to pronounce words like quinoa, um, how not to offer unsolicited advice at hardware stores, um, and, and other things, how don't talk to people on elevators. Um, those things, I, I, I'm starting to get offended by these commercials um, as I get older. Uh, but the, the whole point of the commercial is, hey, buy Progressive because it isn't your parents' insurance. 
Like that's the whole that's the whole idea, right? But if we think about that for j- just a half second, that's just how we as humans are, is it not? Like we become like the people that we spend time with. That's it. He, he, at the premise of this the premise of this commercial is is a very simple human truth. You become like the people that you've spent the most time with. And millennials, we've spent the most time with our parents as we turn 30 and are buying our first house and all that other stuff. Um, or now it's getting later and later. But the, the whole idea is if you, you become your parents because your parents' personalities have been indel- indelibly uh, modeled to us and imprinted on us. They, they, something about who we are is what our parents are. And what we say is what our parents say. Um, so McCartney, if ever I say, if a chicken can pull a train, you better hook him up. If I ever say that, just punch me in the face. That was my dad's worst saying. Um, anyway, pro- proximity, the, the idea is proximity breeds similarity. Uh, the psalmist sees this, the psalmist sees this, this concept and he prays that our proximity to God, and, our, and, and to a lesser extent, our proximity to God's people, to other believers, would inspire in us true righteousness. That's what he's getting at. That's the petition. Lord, be with us. Lord, make us be with other Christians. Why? So that we can be like you. So that we can be like our Father in heaven. That we won't need a Dr. Rick to t- teach us how not to be, but that we could truly be like you that we would be shaped by your presence, that we would, we would surround ourselves with people, that we would want to be like you, that we instinctively know it, that, and God is showing us that if we want to be like him, all we have to do is dwell in his house. We have to surround ourselves with believers, and the change will happen naturally. Uh, Jeff, Jeff Godwin, the senior pastor at Northside, he says it this way. He says, you don't have to change to come here, but if you stay here, you will change. And how true that is. You don't have to change to come to church. You don't. But if you stay, you will change. It will happen naturally because you will be shaped by his love and by his grace. And so we can pray, and we should pray, like the psalmist, that the fullness of David's vow, that the fullness of David's vow would be made complete in our lives, that we would be able to dwell in his house with zeal, and be motiva- motivated by the joy that we have in his presence, that we would be like him. But there's a third petition and a final petition, and that is for God to remember his covenant promises. Uh, and to be, to be honest, this might be less of a petition um, and more of a celebration, but it just sounds better to say three petitions, three responses, so here we are. Um, but it, it, it really is the, the psalmist the psalmist celebrating God remembering his covenant promises to David. So after petitioning the Lord on the basis of his servant's hardship, on the basis of his zeal, the psalmist celebrates the oath that God made with David, that he would look forward to the future reality of a coming Messiah that the kingdom of God would be secured forever and that God's anointed one will reign supreme and his enemies would be put to shame. That's the end of this. God will win. 
just as we watched the video, God wins. The snake's head is crushed. He loses. He will be put to shame. And God and Christ's crown will shine forever. As sure as the hero gets the girl at, every, at the end of every movie, God will reign supreme. The psalmist is looking forward to the coming of his Messiah. He's ultimately looking forward to Jesus, the one that God promised would come from that royal lineage of David, that he would be established in David because, because of God's promise. He's looking forward to celebrating the reality that we actually already possess. You see, brothers and sisters in Christ, we, we don't need a temple to dwell in God. Maybe you're more acutely aware of that than most as you meet in the high school cafeteria. The church I was at before, um, before I came to Northside was in an elementary school cafeteria. So I understand, I understand the feeling well of a, a mobile church. But we, we don't need a temple to dwell with God. We don't. We don't, ne- we don't need a Sunday morning worship service to dwell with God. God calls us to it. We need it to be like him. But God is with us. We are the temple in which God dwells. What wonderful news is that? That we have received the promises that David longed for, that the psalmist longed for. The Messiah has come and he has rescued us from our sins and now presents us blameless before God because of his righteousness, because of Christ's righteousness, that his spirit would dwell in us richly because of what Christ has done for us. In the same way, in the same way, we are, we are verse 13. We are verse 13. I'm going to read it here. The, we are the Zion in which God has promised to dwell forever. We receive the abundant blessing that he has promised to give. And we have been clothed with the salvation that only he can offer. We can shout for joy knowing that his anointed one sits on the throne and will soon return to make his enemies our enemies, his footstool, to put to death evil and wickedness, to make all things new. These are the promises that God gave to David, and these are the promises that God has given to you and me. He has given us the promise of salvation. God wins. Evil loses. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this opportunity to hear your word. Lord, thank you that we may know beyond shadow of a doubt that you are with us, that you dwell with us. Yes, here as a congregation, Lord, but even as individuals, you dwell with us. And so, Lord, help us shape our desires, shape our hearts that we may want to be with each other, that we would want Sunday mornings because we want to look like you. We want to look like our Father. Be with us now as we sing. Be with us as we go about our weeks. It is in your Son's precious and holy name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.